Hey everybody and welcome to the Jump Ball Podcast. I'm your host Mo Dakil and today my guest is Ali Khan Bijani. He's a writer at The Athletic. He covers the Houston Rockets. And today we're going to talk about the Texas Triangles. That's right. We're going to hit the Rockets, the Spurs, the Mavs. We're going to get into all that stuff. And before we get started, actually, when we get to the Mavs, I just just because all the news is out there with Porzingis, I just want to say we're not going to talk about those allegations because, to be honest, we just don't have enough information to really talk about it in any way to make sense of it, credible, or at even be at any point responsible to either party so when we do talk about the Mavs we're just going to talk about it as if the plan is for Porzingis to be there next year when he's healthy and and all of that stuff so with all that said please take a second to pause the podcast rate review I'm assuming you've already subscribed if you haven't subscribe but those always help me out so we're ready to tip it off Ali how you doing bud I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. It's kind of weird. I just slipped right into Ali and didn't go Ali Khan. Is that? <laughs> uh, no, I, that, that's honestly probably how most guys uh, refer me to as, even players. It's pretty much Ali. Um, I guess when they see when they see the full name, they kind of like, oh, my God. All right. I do not want to butcher this kid's <laughs> name. How do I say that's correct? Uh, but nah, Ali is very easy to say. So I just like to say, just call me like the boxer, Muhammad Ali. Just call me Ali. Very simple. That's simple, right? And I'm Muhammad, so we got Muhammad Ali on the podcast. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's what we got. Uh, you know, it's the same way with me with Muhammad. Everybody goes straight to Mo, so it's not a. <laughs> no, I mean, my some of my best friends who are named Muhammad, I go with Mo as well. I think it's just more so like it's easy. simple, easy, and it's fun to say. It's it, 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 it's really easy. So I'm going to let you pick. Which team do you want to start out with first, between Houston, uh, San Antonio, or Dallas? Oof. All three are going through some interesting things right now, um, even especially in the second half of the season. I say let's start off with the team that's kind of struggling right now in San Antonio, and I know you spent some <laughs> a good amount of time there. And so I kind of want to I kind of want to talk to you about that because I'm I'm surprised. Five of the last six games – they're letting opponents shoot 110. I mean, they're they're scoring 110 points on the Spurs. I mean, the Spurs have a really good defense, and I've I've seen it firsthand. They are phenomenal. They're always in sync. Communication's great, but I don't know what's going on in the last six games. I don't know if that's more so to do with the offense struggling, they're not making their threes as much, or just simply that teams are starting to figure them out defensively, which is not a good sign as we hit the postseason. Yeah, I think. Well, we started. We saw it at the start of the season, right? They were terrible defensively to start the season and everybody was really concerned about their their defense and what's happening and then they've hit a skid you know um the the loss against the rockets well we understand the rockets are our better team they should you know the rockets are going to win that game you know losing to the hornets was a bad loss um you know uh losing to the kings you know the kings they're a feisty young group it's it's possible um but the thing is, like like you said, I think teams are slowly starting to figure it out where to attack, when to attack. But at the end of the day, for me too, I just think we're seeing weird outcomes as we're heading towards the end of the season because everybody's just, just let's just get to the playoffs kind of thing. So I'm not sure really where we're at. I mean, like I had them dead after the rodeo trip. I don't know about you, where they went, I think like one of eight um, in that trip. And I was just like, oh, wow. That's that's usually the trip where they start to turn it on and 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 they really struggled there in that one, but then they re- reeled off nine straight and got back into the kind of the playoff race and 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 now you know they're they're in it 
So it's going to be an interesting thing. But for me, I just don't think I, – I, I'm not too worried just because I think come playoff time, they're kind of a team – like if I'm Denver, I don't think I want to play the Spurs. Yeah. You know, I think they're a kind of team that can figure you out, can give you problems. You know, DeRozan can get going. We, we know he doesn't have a great track record in the playoffs thanks to what we know about Toronto. But LaMarcus Aldridge can get hot, and we've seen him. He can put up 50 at any point. It's one of those things. They get hot shooting, and then everything kind of just stems from that. You know, uh, uh, Derek White's been phenomenal for them this year, uh, and that's been a revelation. And for them, they're kind of playing with the house's money just because, you know, the whole thing was this would have been a very different team, I think, if DeJounte Murray was healthy. The way they were talking about him, it seemed like he was ready to make that leap um, to, to that next level uh, for, for a young player, and, and they were pretty excited. So, for them, just to be even in the playoffs, I think is 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 a huge plus for them. But what's your take on them? I you know I, man. First, I want to say this about Denver. I don't think Denver wants to face anybody in the playoffs. I mean, when I what I just saw, uh, I watched them against Houston, and oh my goodness, James Harden was just picking them apart. They tried to hedge them. They tried to force them right. This was the first time I think all season where. They implemented the game plan, forcing him right. But he attacked Paul Millsap easily, got inside, scored. I mean, I just don't know what to think of this Denver team. Um, who would they would be good against? But that's the topic for another day. Um, <laughs> but it, when it comes to the Spurs, you know, part of me thinks it's a classic. We're a veteran team. We know who we are. And we're playing down to our competition. And if you look, it, they've lost 14 games this season to sub-500 teams. 14. Now, for a Spurs team um, led by Greg Popovich, somebody who always is known to get their players in position to play and be successful, losing 14 games is you know that's that is concerning. They're playing down to level of competition, which kind of goes back to your theory that in the playoffs they're going to get it together. And I think that the players themselves realize that that hey, we know what we're doing right now. We know we have to improve upon it. But I don't know if this is going to change for the rest of the season. Their their only game against a playoff team is against Denver. And the rest of the schedule. So do do we see the Spurs get focused as they head into the postseason? Remains to be seen. These last few games, they haven't been playing playoff teams, and they've struggled. Against a Sacramento team that you know is going to push the pace in transition, if you're not getting back defensively, if you're allowing them to get to their free throw line, if you're allowing them to kind of attack you in the first six seconds of the shot clock, you're not going to be successful. And we've seen that. And so I really don't know um, what's going on, but I have a feeling – um, it has to do a lot more with just playing down to the level of competition. Yeah, and I just think this is just a really weird time of year. It's a, it's, it's one of those things where you know we've seen Memphis reel off wins, you know, and, and play a lot of teams tough. Uh, not last night at the Clipper game I was at, uh, but uh, <laughs> they, but you know, but we've seen them play a lot of teams tough, and 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 this is just that kind of you get a lot of fluky results of like oh they the suns beat somebody oh wow you know or oh the knicks got a like what you know you're kind of just a little bit surprised by it um well not the knicks the knicks don't win games this year um but you know there's, there's always been a couple of like fluky wins at this point um where a really good team is is blows a game against a bad team and the funny thing you said they've lost 14 games against the sub 500 teams these are the games this is why they were always a 50-win team for however many years it was um, until the streak ended. Is because they always won those games. They always yeah. beat the crap out of the dumb teams. Is the way you know. It's kind of is the way I would put it. Um, the teams that we were just like, we have no idea what this team looks like. This or that. And then this year, 
one, I think there's smarter teams out there, kind of like you said, Sacramento's pushing the pace and playing at a pace that's very, much more suitable for them, and, and they're able to make things happen, you know, and that, that really challenged them last night. But I think the there's just less dumb teams out there. Um, you know, there, there, there are less teams out there, but the fact is, even though they're still losing to those teams, it's, it's, it's hurting them. Um, but for me again, like, I just think I'm, I didn't have them in the playoffs at the start of the year. And that's a big problem for me being, uh, a, a, a part of the Spurs alum, uh, for me to go against the family, that's kind of some uh, Fredo, Cor- uh, Michael Corleone kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's sort of, sort of trouble. So for me, I didn't have them in the playoffs. So again, them, you know, doing all this with the year, you know, with, I mean, the first year without Kawhi Leonard, which, you know, and then DeJounte Murray goes down and, and things like that. I just think this is, uh, for them, it's house money. I don't, listen, I'm not picking them to beat Denver in a series. I could just see them giving Denver trouble. You know, they're, uh, San Antonio has been awesome at home and God awful on the road. And I think that's been the biggest difference for them. And, you know, I, I, I like to look at the shooting from last night as well. When you look at the way they played, they were one of 16. Um, and this is, I'm looking at something from B-Ball Index. They were one of 16 on field goal attempts outside of 11 feet in the last, in the last like, basically the second half. I mean, that's really bad. And then when you look at Derek White, who's had to pick up a lot of the offensive slack, he's only averaging around eight points a game in the last, like, two weeks. Um, they're struggling. And... For a team that has shot really well from the perimeter, they're only shooting 31%, you know, on three-pointers uh, when they were second in the league in accuracy for the whole season coming into, you know, this recent stretch. It's it's concerning. You know, you had you had, you had had all these guys who were knocking down open perimeter shots, um, playing within the flow of the offenses. Now it's like, okay – if we're going to not even knock our outside shots down, we're not going to knock our mid-range shots down, how are we going to score points to generate these points? You can only get LaMarcus to score so many points. You can only get DeMar to get going so much from the, the right side of the uh, right side of the mid-range. But when you look at these guys, is you know, are they going to be able to manufacture points consistently? And you have all these guards there, and it just could it also be missing shots? Could it just be as simple as – because I, I like to go through um, – uh, a point about the Rockets as well and tie that in the Rockets at one point yes their defense was bad but as most as we both know if you're missing shots you're going to lose the rebounding battle no matter what because the opposing team is going to get more chances to secure defensive rebounds and that's what happened the Rockets themselves were already small in a stretch without Clint they were missing shots right. James Harden's had to go all heroic and and you're, if you're missing shots you're not going to win basketball games and what's funny is once they started getting healthy, the spacing got right, they started making shots. Their starting lineup with Eric Gordon, James Harden, and Chris Paul with, with Clint Capella is 17-4. and four. And that's not by coincidence. That's because they're making shots and because the spacing is there. But with the Spurs, could it just be as simple as they're not making shots, their defense is taking a hit as a result, and all this combined playing down to the competition, they're not being as successful as they need to. And, you know, with Oklahoma City – losing to the team like the Mavericks and with those two, you know, going head to head to see who can finish seventh or eighth. Spurs have an easier schedule, but if they keep playing like this and playing down to the competition, I don't know if they're actually going to get that seventh seed. So let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, like you said, it's, it's hard for them to win games when Patty Mills goes one for seven from three, when Bellinelli goes two for six, it's, 
they're just not going to win games that like that. They need to hit those shots. They don't. They're not a high volume three point shooter team, but they're an effective three point shooting team. So when those guys miss, it's 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 just hard for them to beat anybody. And like you said, I mean, Aldridge had a good game last night. He had 27 and 18. You know, DeRozan had 18, I think. Rudy Gay had 15 or something along those lines. Like those guys were putting up, you know, pretty good numbers. But when those other guys aren't making shots, like you said, that's a big issue. Um, so, I mean, I'm with, I'm with you here on the Spurs. Like I I think. It's funny you said that they have an easier schedule, but that might be a problem for them uh, playing down to them. I, I still think they'll 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 ramp up and 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 get it going, um, and 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 start finding their their flow again. Well, Mo, like let me ask you this because I'm just curious on how it worked in San Antonio. Whenever you you just mentioned to me a few minutes ago that when it came to them winning these 50 uh, win seasons consistently, it's because they took care of business. Um, I mean, obviously, from an outside perspective now, but what did Co- Coach Pop and the coaching staff do to ensure their players took these games seriously, to ensure that they did get those blowouts that we were so accustomed to seeing? What is What do you think is different from back then to what it is going on right now? I don't think – the honest truth, dude, is, is is the talent. I mean, back then we had Tim, Manu, and, 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 and Tony. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of that easy. Um you know, and this is a this is a younger team than than Pops used to coaching. You know, uh, we talked about Derek White. Bryn Forbes is another guy who's who's relatively young. You know, there, uh, uh, Jakub Podol is another guy who's a young guy who's been really good for them once they started playing. I mean, I don't know if he's their best defensive player, uh, but his, his, I think his on off numbers were were pretty staggering when I looked at it a while back. Um, you know, I think it's just a matter of. You know they had more talent last year, and and there were more bad teams. You know, and this year there's there's there are smarter teams. You know, uh, Sacramento's not going to make the playoffs, but they're still a pretty tough team. Uh, Minnesota's coming on strong here down the stretch with the way Carl Anthony Towns is playing. So I think there's a, a kind of a level of that. You know, the the thing about the Spurs is you said it from the beginning; they always execute, and I think that's just kind of the stuff. And 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 right now we're seeing them slumping a bit. And I think that might be more where the problems lie. Um, and, and we could see them break out of it. I mean, I, I don't think people understand how weird it is these last few few games of the season, when especially when you've clinched, you're fighting for seeding, but you're also kind of looking ahead to who do you want to play in the, the first round, you know? Um, yeah, Oklahoma City's definitely not going to want to play Golden State, and neither is San Antonio. So they're going to fight to try their best to, to, to stay out of the eight seed. So it's going to be a weird... It's just going to be a weird situation in that sense. And, you know, the Spurs blew an opportunity last night. If they beat the Kings with OKC losing to Dallas, they have a chance to, you know, be up a game on those guys and, and kind of feel have a little bit of a cushion. And you can talk about it vice versa the other way around with OKC blowing the game against Dallas. Um, I think it's just one of those things. It's it's going to be a challenge. But to your question, I just think they had more talent last year, last time. You know, during those runs when they would beat up on those those teams, you know, Tim was a big part of that. You know, um, one last thing about the Spurs, I guess, and then we can uh, talk about like Dallas and Houston. But I really liked, um, especially when they were going on this winning streak, mixing in the zone defense because when they played the Rockets about a week ago, two weeks ago, I forgot when it was. James went off that 13-0 run to end the game. Um, 
but before that, they made it so difficult on him. And I think besides the Bucks, they've done a pretty good job against James this season. They were mixing in zone. They were mixing all these different coverage. And I think when you're playing James Harden, he's such a smart guy. People don't realize how much of a genius he is in pick and roll. I mean, we talk about being able to make reads and be able to make passes as a benchmark for guys entering the league. But when you're a guy like James Harden who's mastered how to read a low man and who's mastered how to read the weak side and make his decision, I mean, you have to be able to throw different coverage at him. And the Spurs did that. Um, and I don't, I don't know, Mo, do you think the zone defense, I'm just kind of prefacing it that way, is making a comeback in the NBA. And do you think the Spurs, and I know that he and other teams have done it, do you think the zone defense could be something that teams go to, especially next season as we've seen a renaissance of it this season? I think we'll see more of it. Um, and I think the smartest way to use it is in is just kind of pick your spots kind of thing. I was I actually had a conversation with somebody last night about this. Um, you know, if I'm a coach, I never run. I would never run a zone defense in the first half. You know, offenses aren't used to seeing it, but if I get, if I allow you, if I run a bunch of zone in the first half, you know, you're going to be able to go into halftime and make adjustments and pick that apart. I'd rather run it in the second half and 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 in spots, you know, five possessions or so, and then switch it switch it back up and play it around that way, and and continue to kind of keep the offense guessing. I think we will see more zone. I think that's something we, you know, a lot of teams have been doing it. Not a lot of teams have been doing it well. Um, and I think it's just something we're going to see coaches experiment with. You know, it, it, it's interesting now when you look at it this way, the way a lot of people view playing the NBA game offensively, it's let's get threes and layups, very much the Houston attitude, you know, and and, and, and they're not going to give up. They're not going to take mid-range shots for the most part. For a zone, cool, you just set up a zone to, to run those dudes off the line and, and, and meet them at the rim, you know, uh, we're going to talk about it, I'm sure, when we get to Houston about how the Bucks defended Harden. But, you know, at no point did it cross his mind at any point to pull up for a mid-range jumper when he, he would have had an easy shot. Um, and I think that's something we're going to start to see with zones and, and, and coaches kind of experiment. And, you know, we've seen the offensive game take a leap, and now, you know, the, the defense is going to catch up at some point. And that might be zones, you know. Um, it might be a different configuration than we're used to or – we're seeing it won't be a true zone, just the way the the rules are set up. But it's going to be an interesting one. I think it's something we'll we'll start to see more of next year. Yeah, and, and you know, to that point, the mathematical advantage is such a big topic of conversation um, in league circles. When I talk to scouts, that's one thing that always comes up: is okay, we're we're in the in the era of shooting threes. Last season, for example, with Houston, they what kind of bait teams into posting up their guards and that was their way of having a mathematical advantage okay we're going to shoot a big volume of threes but if we get you to bait you inside and post up our smalls who are really good at defending bigs we're going to you know you may score 50 percent of the time in the post and get two points but we may score threes 35 40 percent of the time and outscore you and beat you that way and and that mathematical advantage and that thinking came into play and we're seeing that more this season where teams are now shooting a lot more, a lot more number of threes, but at the same time, as to combat it, the zone is coming in, like you talked about, and then they're having to take those mid-range shots where they're not used to. That kind of destroys the rhythm of an offense. And I completely agree. I think if you put this in in the second, uh, second, I mean the latter half of the third quarter, early part of the fourth, just to disrupt the team, put them off balance. That's that's something that I really feel like that is that's, that could be successful. 
And one more thing with that as well, not just with zones, teams are sending a second guy from the weak side at guys like James, at guys like LeBron, people like that who are dominant with the ball. And it's really making the other four guys on the floor who are oftentimes just shooters be facilitators. And I think we're going to see that a lot more in the playoffs where just get the ball out of the primary guy's hands. For example, if you're playing Denver, get the ball out of Jokic's hands, put him in Murray. He can make a shot. Yes, he can. But at the same time, you're making the other four guys be decision makers. And I think ultimately every single defensive team will take that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You just, you know, make the guys who aren't used to scoring have to score or make the play. Um, and, and, and take it out of Harden's hands or, or, or for the Spurs, you know, you're going to take it out of DeRozan's hands and, and Aldridge's hands. And, and, and let's see if Yaka Pertle can really make plays. Let's see how, how good Derek White is going to be in the playoffs when it's a big change. Um, but I think that's about enough Spurs talk. You know, yeah. we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're good on them. Uh, so where do you want to go next? You tell me, Dallas or Houston? Let's go to the second best city in Texas, Dallas. Dallas. And then we'll, okay. end with the, we'll, we'll, we'll end with the best city in Texas. No, Austin? Austin's, Austin's got a team? Austin's, Austin, Austin's the best. No, honestly, <laughs> Austin is the best city in Texas. Uh, I was there for four years, man. Just, if anybody listening right now ever has a chance to come to Texas, I highly recommend you just go to Austin. Don't go anywhere else and have the time of your life. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, you can do so many great things. I mean – I was there for four years, and I still didn't get to do everything I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. But, I mean, that's 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 on the side. But, yeah, let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks who, man, do they have a bright future, Mo. I mean, you know, uh, first off, after that, that thrilling uh, ad read for uh, Austin Tourism Board uh, that you just gave, Ali, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, you're right, though. I mean, Dallas does. I mean, first off, I love Luka Doncic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that dude. Um, I've been a fan of his from his European days. I was shocked to anybody. Nobody. I was shocked he wasn't the number one pick. Um, I'm not mad at Atlanta for making the trade. I think it was a smart play on their part. Um, assuming they can, assuming this pick conveys this uh, this year and it's a top five pick or it's top five protected, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So the other way. Basically, with Atlanta winning yesterday and the Dallas also winning, they're still two games apart from each other. So as of right now, it'll still be conveyed. Right. And I, I you know, uh, so I'm not. And and who knows what Trey Young is going to be? That's another podcast for another day. But I mean, the the future is really bright with what they got going there. They they have him balling. Um, Porzingis when when he gets back healthy, I think is going to be. You know, it's it's. it's going to be a really fun running mate with him i know we all want dirk to retire but he hasn't announced it i wouldn't be surprised if he's like ah, i just want to hang around one more year um, you're not the first person to bring that up and the more i think about it Mo, i really feel like he's going to come back i don't think he himself knows if he's coming back or not and it's just funny to see people in the nba kind of not, i want to say forcing him but kind of like Hey, come on, man! It's it's time to go, Dirk. Come on, come on, Dirk! It's time to go. And even I was so I was in Dallas, and I'm taking one of the big free, uh, big highways, and I'm driving down, and I see one of the billboards, and it has that Dirk, you know, the thing they're marketing right now is like 41, 21, and one. And the amount of theories that exist on the internet about 41, 21, and one. I mean, the Mavericks are kind of inviting all this to happen. I mean, the Mavericks are kind of pushing this narrative to also exist. Well, I mean, it's so I, it's it's actually I'll, I'll actually throw it back to the Spurs there. This is kind of what happened with Manu. 
<laughs> a year before he retired. You know, he, he finished playing the season and he's like, it's like everybody else is telling everybody else wants me to retire. I don't know if I'm retiring yet. <laughs> uh, um, and he, and he, and he came back the next year, um, you know, and, 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 and then retired, but it's, it's sort of that same thing where they're kind of pushing, uh, pushing Dirk out the door already. And Dirk's like, no, hold on. It's like, he's holding on to the door frame. Like, no, I'm not ready yet. Um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of dynamic that we've seen going on and, you know, and, 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 and him playing with, uh, um, Dwayne Wade, when they played in Miami, it was almost like, all right, we're both going out. And I'm like, well, no, Wade announced he's leaving. Dirk has it. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm interested. I mean, nobody, I mean, we've seen him run around. It's, it's not pretty from what we've seen. Um, but I still, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back. And it's, I mean, this is again, a young group. They have another guy who I absolutely love is Jalen Brunson. He just impacts the game in many different ways. Uh, makes a lot of defensive plays. He's always kind of in the right spot hustles. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll take some flack for this, but to me, he's like almost like a Malcolm Brogdon light, just not nearly as good of a shooter, um, as Brogdon, but I just feel like a real smart, tough guy, the kind of guy like you want on your team. And I just, I just think they got, they got a couple of good pieces and they're going to have a crap ton of money this year. Like it's going to be a real interesting off season for them. I, I was talking to some of the maps guys about this. I don't think he's going to become JJ Berea because JJ Berea is one of the most unique players in my mind that I've had a chance to watch in my basketball life um, because of how at that size, um, but with that IQ basketball IQ, he's able to dominate second units and kind of make an impact on the game. Um, but Brunson, he just has this natural feel and I think what's important for young guys, Mo, coming into the NBA is that, yes, you have skills. Yes, you have to be able to read defenses, but you have to play your role. If you know your role and you're excited about playing that role, you're going to be successful. What I like about Brunson, he's effective as a guy who can run pick and roll and he can be a spot up shooter. But at the same time, he knows his role playing off of the primary guy in Luka Doncic. And when you have that kind of caliber player on your team, not because he's a superstar, not because he's that, but he can be an effective role player. That, sign me up for those guys any of the, any day of the week. And I really like the way Jalen Brunson plays. Defensively, I don't think he's a guy whose wingspan or things like that is going to pop out of you. But the way he thinks about the game where he kind of, you know, forces issues to happen. I know there was a game um, in, during March when the Rockets played in Dallas, and he had a whale of a game, man. He, he did really well. I mean, Chris Paul blocked him late. Um, kind of stole, kind of stole how well Jalen played that game. But defensively, he he gave he gave Chris Paul fits a little bit. He gave James Harden fits a little bit. And I, I really do feel like that he's going to be somebody who I don't know if he's going to close games for them in the future. But it's somebody who I really do feel like can slide into that JJ Brayer role of being that key cog off the bench and supplying the energy. And the dual playmaking and shooting needed for a second unit in, in today's NBA. So yeah, I think Jalen Brunson is just kind of a perfect complement for Doncic. I think he's kind of that toughness. He's he's not the long defender we would we we would hope for or or something like that. But I just think, like you said, he's got the smarts, man. He knows where to be. He's got the IQ, and you just kind of love those guys. And he actually, I was looking up his numbers while you were talking, and he, he shoots better from three than I actually thought. I thought he was a. a 
kind of a 33% shooter or, or below. And, you know, that's the, uh, uh, that's kind of the 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 customer. He's thirty six percent three point shooter right now. I think he's going to get better. Um, not much better. He's not going to be a star or anything. But I just think he's a perfect role player, like you said. You know, perfect kind of cog to kind of put in and help kind of keep that team going. I, I like to think of him not as not like as a Patrick Beverly compliment. Not because not like Patrick's intensity and the way he plays defensively. Um, although I mean, who knows? Brunson can get to that level of intensity, but. The way that he can complement as a starting point guard next to another primary guard um, and make an impact as a secondary ball handler, I really do feel like that Brunson provides that. And, and I already think Brunson's better than Beverly was when he played with Harden as a secondary guy. He's averaging 4.4 to 5 assists a game as a secondary guy. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's great for them. And I really do think that as he continues to get these minutes I, with a second unit, He's going to continue to help them push the pace. I mean, we saw how well he played yesterday against Oklahoma City. Um, I, I just, I'm just, I'm in agreement with you. I really do like Jalen Brunson. I really do like his future with Dallas. I, I'm going to push back a little bit on him and Beverly, just because Beverly's a different level of defender. You know, Patrick okay. Be- Patrick Beverly defensively is 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 a beast. Like when he, it's 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 a when he sees the target, he's going to crush him. I I, I don't think. Brunson can get to that level. I think Beverly's got a good level of length with him. He's got. Maybe. That, I, 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 I'm going to push back on that, but I think as a ball handler and what he can do in the secondary unit, I think is helpful. I think he's going to be a good defender, kind of smart on the rotations and knowing where to go, knowing where to be, um, you know, and 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 kind of developing from that. Uh, I, 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 sh- I should clarify, I, and I'm. I no disrespect to Pat. Pat's probably one of my all-time favorite you, players. You don't want him coming at you, man. You yeah. know you've dealt with him in Houston. Yeah, I, I've covered him, and it, Pat's probably one of the nicest guys. He was one of the first people that I ever got a chance to interview, and he was very nice to me. So, Pat, Pat, I have a very soft spot for Pat Beverly, and I always respect him. I meant more so than the capacity like you talked about where it was the ball handling ability. Okay. Um, I really feel that in terms of – like, it, it's a skill. I think it's a skill definitely to understand your role and play – and be able to complement a primary ball handler. And I really do feel like Brunson fits in that kind of role of how Beverly played with Harden. That's kind of all I'm trying to say. And defensively, yes. Um, Beverly is just his own human being. Man. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's his own animal. Um, but no, I really do think Brunson can get to that kind of level where he can complement. And even, you know what? Hopefully he can get to that level of playing with Berea because as we know, Berea is such a key cog for what Carlisle wants to do offensively. And if Brunson can slowly continue to learn from him, and kind of get to that point, that's going to be huge for a team that has invested so much in two big stars and is going to have to complement those guys with with pieces of lesser salary. Yeah, and, and you know, I think there's a level of uh, just with, with what Brunson can bring, and this is a lot of talk on Brunson, and we're, we're really burying the yeah. lead on Doncic, uh, yeah. <laughs> rookie of the year. But uh, um, I, at least he's my rookie of the year. But I just think Brunson just kind of adds a nice element to that squad, um, and and he's the kind of guy you do want. He's the kind of guy that brings you winning. He makes winning plays, which is something that's big. And 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 you know if you sleep on him, he'll hit that shot. You know Doncic will find him and 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 whatnot. How I'm gonna push back on you, by the way. Mo, okay, go like, for it. You said Luca's rookie of the year. You know what? I I think Trey Young is rookie of the year. I have um, no. Let's go. Let's do it. 
I, I you know, I just in and this is tough. I, I, I don't you know, part of me I have a conflicting argument even within myself, because I love watching Luca play. I've I watch a lot of Mavericks games, man. I really mm. do. And I really love the way Luca can see things. There was a game in November or December when the Rockets played the Mavs in Dallas. And the Rockets were up by like five or six late in the fourth, and Luca just went off and had like his own 11-0 run pretty much. And he single-handedly won the Mavericks that game, even defensively. And I saw the potential, and I'm like, this guy's a rookie? Are you serious? This guy's not a rookie. He plays like he's an all-NBA kind of guy at, point, at some points in time. But then when you look at the way Trey Young plays, when the ball is, is in his hands, the way he's so methodical and the way he's running his offense, I feel like he needs to get more love than he is. And I, and I, I know that Luka is likely going to be the rookie of the year, but put some respect on Trey Young. Put some respect on how of an elite <laughs> level of ball handler he is. His passing is incredible. For a guy of his size, of his age, of the of the personnel he's playing with, I mean, it's incredible the way he is. And I really do feel like that in the future you're going to have him as a guy who's spotting up from 35 feet out. And defenses are going to start to trap him much higher, and he's able to make those passes to the rim with ease, even at 35 feet out when people trap him. I mean, his skill at this age is fantastic. I watched a lot of him when he played at Oklahoma because I was at UT Austin, and obviously Texas and Oklahoma are rivals, and I had a, I had a very close eye on Trey, and I think he's great. Um, I mean, if, if if I know a lot of people are going to you know knock me for this and say, Luca, 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 I love Luca. All right, I love Luca. I watch a lot of Mavericks games, guys. But I do have to say that you have to put some respect on Trey Young and see that he's doing a phenomenal job with Atlanta. Yeah, there's no there's no disrespect in that. Me saying Luca's the the rookie of the year. It's not down. It's not downplaying Trey Young's year. I mean, he 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 started very slowly. Shot poorly in November. Um, I think like twenty something percent from three. But his passing skills are always something that I've always loved about. Young and I said, listen, he's always going to be able to make those passes and and find guys and 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 things like that. And we saw it last night where he hit the the game winner in a very weird game um, against. But the- see, look, I, I will say this about the shooting thing, right? Like we we like I'm guilty of this too. I will bring that up in conversation about rookie of the year and say Trey, you know, start, started poorly uh, in terms of shooting. But you look at Doncic's number. Luca's shooting not that well from oh. three in the month of March. He he was shooting at twenty four percent from three at one point, and before that he was shooting uh, I think thirty one percent in January. He's also struggled a little bit as well. But no, I I I'm not I'm not like taking anything away from your argument. I'm just saying that you know we speak so highly of Luca and deservedly so. He is you know clearly a fantastic player, but we need to also have that. Like I'm not, I'm not saying this at you. I'm framing this in general to the NBA, NBA public. Like we need to give respect to the things Trey Young is doing, and that's not saying Trey Young is bona fide, crazy, awesome player yet. He he has a ways to go to improve defensively. Teams will pick on the pick on him. The Rockets just attacked him in double high screens to get him involved on switches. Um, and Atlanta had to make up for it so much. Like he needs to get better defensively. But if you look at what he's doing offensively for Atlanta, that merits. A very high accomplishment, and honestly, if if it was a perfect world, ideal world, give both of them rookie of the year, make them co rookie of the year, yeah, because I, both of them have played phenomenal. I mean, they both they both have a case. There's no question. It's not open and shut, you know, guaranteed one way or the other. 
you know, I think there's a level of, you know, I think Trey Young's a better passer than Luca. I think Luca is a, uh, a obviously a better rebounder and things like that. I think Luca has a, you know, they both impact the game just differently. And I, for me, I just look at it and I think Luca's been the the rookie of the year to me. That's just the way I look at it. It's not a slight on that. And and Trey's been getting a lot of pub over the past month. You know, you you're not the first person to 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 scream, hey 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 hey, we're not we're not talking about Trey Young enough. So I think that's a uh, uh, I think he's beginning to get that recognition. And and mm-hmm, listen, sure. here's the other thing. That Atlanta team's going to be a lot of fun for years to come with him, John Collins, uh, you know, uh, Herder, uh, if it gets going, you know, I think that's going to be a squad. And if they find a way to get Zion in that number one pick, oh, oh my God, I'm I'm joining the bandwagon. I'm it's, becoming president, CEO, CFO, everything of the Atlanta Hawks. We we're gonna we're gonna get going on that. Yeah, it's gonna be it's <laughs> gonna be it's gonna be an adventure. So it's uh it's gonna be uh. But that's a big if, and again, not uh, another podcast, another time we could talk. We'll we'll talk about it in July yeah. if, if if that stuff goes down. I do want to get to the Rockets because that's the team you cover the most, right? That's the team you're around constantly. You know, give it to me straight, man. What what can this Rockets team do? Can they beat the Warriors? You know, I, I talk to Kelly about this all the time. Um, Kelly Eco, who always holds the covers of Rockets for the Athletic. Um, the team the Rockets get up to play the most. The team the Rockets are motivated to be. They're not going to say it. You know, Daryl Morey has said it before, but they're not going to say it. You can tell there's a feeling in the Rockets locker room every time they play the Warriors, they want to whoop their butt. And I really feel like if the matchup came in the postseason, the Rockets have a very good shot at defeating this Warriors team. Are the Rockets the same team as they were last season? No. But are the Warriors the same team as they were last season? I don't think so. Um, and when you put those two things together, the way those two teams knew each other really well, um, our friend Matt Moore, uh, last time the Rockets played, came out, uh, Rockets played the Warriors, came out and said, the Warriors just seemingly forget how to play against switches when the way they play the Rockets. And I completely agree. All the Rockets do is switch, force Durant to post up on the right or left side, create a great wall of Houston the weak side, take away all the shooters, and force him to play a one-on-one. And the way P.J. Tucker has really played well defensively against Durant, the Rockets will take that 10 out of 10 times because they have so much confidence in the way Tucker plays. So to answer your question, yes. I think if the Rockets play the Warriors in the postseason, um, it would be a very tough series. I think it will go to seven games. But I do see the Rockets edging them out. The only question is, the Rockets would not have home court advantage this time around. Oracle is a dangerous place to play, but the Rockets will be the first ones to tell you they've played there so many times these last two years, it doesn't matter where they play. That is quite a take, Ali. I don't think there's a chance. I don't think they have the defensive level that they had. I mean, we know they're not as good a defensive team as they were last year. I don't think, I don't even think we've seen the best of the Warriors. And the way they're the way they could play, I think they've slept walked through the regular season. I think they're just kind of there. And then and then the Warriors showed up the last time they played and they whooped on them. I just don't see I just don't think the Rockets have it defensively to really have to take all that on. And then the other thing the other aspect behind it, and this is something I do want to talk to you about, because you you post some great stuff on video. 
you know, my thing with the Rockets is they tend to get lost into and tunnel vision and stuck in this isolation James stuff. And I'm and, and and as great as he is, and there's no question about it, he's freaking phenomenal. I think you know they really don't use everybody as well as they could. You know, you've shown like when they run some sets and some actions out of it, they can find a easy lob for Capella. They can work it through and and get the ball to Paul and 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 let Harden kind of move around the screen, you know, and 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 get him off the ball and then back on and and things like that. And there's a lot of different opportunities. I mean. Mike D'Antoni is one of the most creative coaches we've had in the NBA. And I feel like he just doesn't really show us the stuff anymore. Like he has great stuff with his pistol action, 21 series and all of those things. And I don't think, I don't think they run that stuff enough. And I think just running into a high pick and roll with James Harden is it's, it's, it's for a good defensive team. It's easy to defend. We saw what the Bucks did. I wrote about it for the Washington Post of them just forcing yep. him right. And that only works really when you have a guy like Brooke Lopez who could defend at the rim, and then you have the weak side rotating behind it, which is what they did. They had Giannis coming in from behind and taking away any real Capello roles. And I think that kind of put a lot of pressure on that squad. Um, and I think that's the kind of stuff that Golden State can do. I mean, they're when they want to be. I mean, we haven't seen it this year just because – They've sleptwalked through the regular season, and they're already they're still they're fighting for the one seed. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting that you think that they can beat that you think Houston can beat them just because I just don't think they have the defensive power, and I don't think they have the I don't think they're going to go to being very creative offensively, which plays into the Warriors' hands defensively. I, I um to to your point defensively, I completely agree. Um. The Rockets had their best defensive month of the season here uh, in March. They were second-best defensive rating. But in the playoffs, that's obviously different. I think where this Rockets team differs the most is um, people will tell me, oh, well, Ariza could have fixed this. They should have signed Ariza again. Yes, Ariza is a lengthy body. But Ariza is not the, is not the reason why the Rockets are struggling defensively this season. It's just overall, they've gone smaller as a basketball team. Look at their starting lineup, Mo. You got, you got, you got Chris Paul. You got James Harden. You got Eric Gordon. That's three guards right there. Three smalls. So that's Coach Antonio refers them to. Then you got P.J. Tucker and you got Clint Capella. They're not switching as much anymore because they can't rebound from the weak side. And so what they're having to do is any 1-5 pick and roll that's involved, the only time they'll switch is if it's James and Clint. If it's, J- if it's Clint and Chris, they're not switching. If it's Clint and P.J., nah, switch maybe 60% of the time. But more times than not, they're going to keep Clint at the rim to secure those defensive rebounds. And even then, they're struggling to just be below the rebounding battle in terms of losing it or just above it and winning. And, and that's been the biggest difference for me um, is that they have a much smaller – they have a staff smaller personnel. And, and, and in the playoffs, when you're playing all these different teams, having that smaller personnel is an advantage in some situations. Against the Bucks, it can be an advantage offensively if you guys make shots. And I talked to one of the Rockets coaches, and uh, I, I you know, brought up the points you made in that piece you wrote for the Washington Post on how the Rockets um, struggled defensively, uh, struggled against the Bucks defense. And he told me, well, PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon combined to go, I think it was one and nine mode. Do you remember it was one and nine or one eleven from three? Something like that. Yeah, and, and he was like, well, they missed open shots. And my kind of takeaway from that was 
they still seem pretty confident that they know how to play against that style of offense. I mean, it didn't seem like it. Um, yes, they did miss some shots, but, um, you know, I think the, a big culprit of it is that they're smaller. And if they're smaller, it makes it tougher. Last season, they had, they had a lot more versatility in the lineups they could play. We saw so many times where – so they had three guys, Mo, as you know. They had PJ, Luke, and Trevor. Interchangeable, two guys on the court at all times. When Luke went out, obviously that changed. It was more Eric Gordon sliding into that Luke role because he couldn't shoot the basketball. You had Gerald Green play a lot more minutes in the Western Conference Finals. But for most of the regular season, it was Luke, it was Trevor, and it was PJ. And they would have two of them on the court with James and Chris and possibly Clint or Eric at all times. Small ball lineup you know, to the extreme. This season, their small ball lineups have not been as successful. Um, Coach D'Antoni has talked to us about possibly using P.J. Moore at the five because now that they have Daniel Howells back and he's been shooting pretty well on spot-ups, you can kind of do that. But I personally haven't seen enough or haven't seen enough positive instances of them going to a small ball lineup and being successful, especially defensively, to merit that in the playoffs. Maybe they're saving that as their lineup to go to in the playoffs. But, you know, I just – that to me is probably one of the biggest non – like things that are, has not been discussed about the Rockets. Yes, things have changed. But when you look at the, their personnel this season, it's different. You rely on – like for, I'll, I'll give you the best example that illustrates this. When the Rockets play Toronto, obviously Pascal Siakam is a big front line. You play with Ibaka, you can play him uh, with Pascal Ibaka and Mark Gasol together if you really wanted to. If you do that, Pascal becomes a three. Who was defending Pascal Siakam when the Rockets played them twice this season? Take a guess. Uh, it was Harden, right? Or what was uh, who who'd they have on? I they had the, they had the, one of their smallest guards on them, Austin Rivers. Okay. And, and, and now you're like, okay, I mean, what's the reason behind it? Well, Austin Rivers is one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. So that makes sense. But even then, you have him versus last season, you had a guy like P.J., Luke, or Trevor to put on him, right? In terms of the length, in terms of all those things. So you can seamlessly switch everything and not worry about defensive rebounding. This season, you have a small on him already. And that already puts you at a disadvantage when it comes to grabbing that defensive board. I- so that's For me, that's the big issue. I'm going to take umbrage. Austin Rivers is not one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. Statistically, statistically. I mean, statistically. like, listen, that's the same as him saying that and then and then, and then Steph Curry blowing right by him. Like, that's not, like, he's not, I, Austin Rivers is overrated as a player defensively. That's, that's, that's my opinion of him. You know, I think he does a good job on the offensive end, driving to the hole and making things happen. Defensively, I don't think he's he's that great. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's horrible or anything. But I think the the Austin Rivers is the is a great on ball defender. I mean, I've seen a good number of him here with the Clippers. Like it, that's that's a nice narrative that everybody's pushing that I just don't think is true in that sense. Um, I I I honestly just don't think this team. I I I, I really wish they were more creative offensively. Because I think that opens things up. And the coach talking about like, well, you know, uh, P.J. Tucker and, and Eric Gordon didn't shoot well. Well, hell, y'all didn't shoot well in Game 7 either. You know, it's not one of those things. Those are the guys I will live with. I will I will happily lose a series if those are the guys that have to hit shots. It's like we talked about earlier, right? Like, 
I'm fine as long as it's not James Harden's the one who's getting all these looks or. Well, that's what teams are doing, Mo. They, they right. are literally just doubling him at the top of the key with seven seconds on the shot clock. And all right, all right, we're taking the ball out of your hands. PJ, go make a shot. Eric, go do something. And I have asked them. I have asked Coach Anthony, hey, have you been happy with the way the team is doing on, uh, against traps and stuff like that? And personally, from I mean, I know you watched the film too. They haven't done that well of a job. They have some games where Capella's been good in the short rolls. They have some games where PJ is able to execute and knock down the corner three. But I've seen a good amount of footage myself where it's like they are struggling when teams just straight up a double James at the top, force the ball out of his hands, and make somebody else make shots. And that's kind of lost their offensive rhythm. But I think I think these quicker actions where you have Chris Paul bringing the ball up and getting into the action in 21 series, 19 seconds in the shot clock, that's what we need to see more. And I think ultimately their success in the postseason is going to be based off of how quick are they able to get into those shots? Because obviously their pace of play is very biased, in my opinion, when it comes to how much isolation they play. They do play fast. They play faster than they have last season, actually, um, when you even consider how much isolation they've done. But, you know, these these isolations that we've been seeing from James, um, I'll give you – I'm not saying I agree with this, Mo, but I'll give you their perspective on it. Um, if when you look at – all the plays they run, you have a mathematical points per possession that you can get out of it. Okay, if we run 21 Nash, blah, 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 we can get 1.1 points per possession. If we run this, we if we get, you know, we won our delay action, we get this. All these different actions they run, they probably have a points per possession. When you look at James Harden in isolation and the way he's, con- and the frequency he's playing it with and he, how much he's converting, the points per possession is very good. So if they can ever get a mismatch of James Harden being defended by any sort of big, they're going to wave off the offensive action and give him the ball. And and the best example of this is Chris Paul, a guy who wants to get the ball inbounds very fast, will yield the basketball to James Harden anytime that mismatch occurs. So I, I, I agree with you, Mo. I think that they do need more flexibility. We've seen that. I think Coach D'Antoni has sprinkled in some very clever sets. I've talked to the coaches about it. There are some very clever things they've added in. It's on film. It's going to come up in the postseason. They're definitely going to run it. But we need to see it more. And I think I think I agree with you there that unless they start doing that, they have a little bit the last few games. They're kind of getting Eric Gordon more involved on the ball. And they're kind of putting him in a little Ryan Anderson type of role where their gravity is going a little bit more outside the perimeter to the 28 feet out. But we need to see that more, especially in that first round, for me to buy in fully to this team, not just getting out of the Western Conference, but possibly beating a, an Eastern Conference team. And as we both know, that, that Eastern Conference is not a joke this year. Yeah, no, the Eastern Conference is good this year. And, and, and you know, they, they'd they have problems if it was Milwaukee in the uh, the the finals, if that if they got that far. I don't think they're getting past Golden State. I, I'm with you, though. I, they, need to sh- they need to be willing to show a little more balance in how much isolations I know they, they, they have a higher points per possessions with James's isolation stuff. And they should be able to go to that when they can. But I also think it's a matter of giving James a little more rest. And, and, and if somebody else kind of carries the load and running those actions and things like that, I mean, you had a great clip where they ran, God, uh, it was like a 21 delay series and that with a, into a double high pick and roll and, and found Capella for a lob. I mean, like just, just running into that kind of stuff on a regular basis or, or mixing that stuff in more often. But, you know, like when I watched that Bucks game, 
I mean, that thing was, it, it really felt like they didn't run a single play but high pick and roll. Anytime James was in the game, it was high pick and roll. And just like a, you know, banging their heads on the wall. It wasn't working, but they just kept doing it because they thought eventually it will. Um, you know, and 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 it, and it didn't. And I think that's kind of going to be their problem and, and, and their downfall. Um, well, Mo, when it when it comes to when it comes to that defense and the way teams like the way the Bucks play them, what are some actions you feel like would be successful for them against that team? Because the way Bucks were defending them, they're taking away the left hand. They're forcing him to go right. I personally think that if you run more hammers, if you can run a little bit, if you can sprinkle on a little hammer, if you can sprinkle in a little things like that, where you're forcing him to go sideline and he can pass going left to right or right to left. I think that's ultimately things you have to consider. Okay, they're they're giving their shading is left. Okay, let's let James go right, but let's have something set up on the weak side where there can be a catch and shoot three because they're basically overloading him with Giannis as defensive player of the year camped out in the paint. Yeah. As the weak side guy rotating. You need to have a counter for them. I really do think that Hammer or these other flare screens on the, on the opposite side are completely necessary. But what are some sets you feel like would be successful um, that the Rockets should maybe implement? I, I mean, anything that gets him off the ball and then have him run his defender off a screen or two and then get him the ball back. It's not a. I know he's not a huge. He's not an off the screen shooter. He's not running off screens. He's not Steph Curry going to come off a screen, a pin down, and and drill it but just give him enough of a chance to give him enough of a room to get to his left, you know, and, 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 and rub a guy off a screen, you know, or, or, or handoff actions and make sure you, you, you nail his guy with the screen and things like that. I think they just need to be able to get him off the ball just a little bit and then get you him know back. Where the, you know where this hurts? This, this, this also hurts with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, I mean, he, he, he's had flashes, Mo, where he will attack a guy off the dribble He'll score in isolation. He'll, you know, he does those things. But against the Bucks for a whole series, can we trust Chris Paul to run a one-two pick and roll with James Harden? Because I think that would be an ideal set for them to run against the Bucks. Can he run a one-two pick and roll with James Harden? Let James either get a switch on a small, or can Chris Paul beat the guy off the dribble and score consistently? And if he can't do that, the Rockets can't win. And and I think that set, if we if they ran that last season against this Bucks team with the way Chris Paul played in isolation last season before the hamstring injury, I mean, the Rockets have a really good shot. Yeah. But unless that Chris Paul from last year comes in and plays isolation this season, I don't know because I really do feel like the one-two pick and roll, which has been their go-to play, especially late in games, can be successful. But can we trust Chris Paul to do it consistently enough? I don't I don't think we're going to see – like, we're, we're watching Chris kind of go down this way. I don't think he can do what he did last year. Um, you know, I, he'll have flashes. He'll have he'll have a game or two. I don't think he could do what he did all series, uh, for for an entire series like he did against Golden State before he he hurt his hamstring. Um, you know, the other thing too is, I mean, you you know better than me. I haven't seen a lot of one two pick and rolls. Is is is, is have they been running that that much? They so uh, to close the first half and in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, that will be something they go to. Um, it used to be predominantly just James and Chris, but now with Eric shooting really well here in March, they've been doing a lot of James and Eric pick and rolls. And the thing with Eric is he can attack off the dribble and use his little quick first step to use and then finish up with his left shoulder. Um, but yeah, that's been something they've been trying to go to a little bit more, especially here in March. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how they 
divvy this up and how they how they react to how teams will defend them. I think they're going to see an assortment of different defenses. I think teams are going to throw you know the kitchen sink at them because the other thing too, and this is the important thing to note: Harden is going to get his. He's a hell of a scorer. Like he's going to find a way. It's a question of how efficient he does it, and if it you know if you can really kind of there's no really stopping him. It's can you slow him down enough um, to make a difference. Um, Ali Khan, I think I've taken up, uh, more time than I thought I would. Um, so tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at rockets underscore insider. Um, also follow me on Instagram. If you have an Instagram, I've been using that a lot more, um, especially here late in the season, kind of giving some inside, uh, videos and things like that. Um, I have a couple good stories coming out very soon that I'm excited to share. Um, you can find my work at the athletic. Uh, me and Kelly are, you know, trying to produce the best content we can when it comes to the Rockets. A lot of great stories as we get into the postseason. Um, and if you're not a subscriber, I highly encourage you to subscribe. Um, last season in the postseason, when I first started with the Athletic, I was able to do a lot of really great film studies after every playoff game. Hoping to continue that as well this time around. So if you're looking for anything Rockets, holistic coverage, uh, be sure to follow um, and subscribe to the Athletic as well. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Ali Khan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And that's it for our show. Be sure to rate us, like us, leave reviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever else you go to listen to your podcasts. Have a good one.